Hi all, Jacob Austin here, owner of QS.Zone, and welcome to episode 18 of the Subcontractors Blueprint, the show where subcontractors will learn how to ensure profitability, improve cash flow, and grow their business. Today's episode number 18 will be about valuing change. Okay, so in episode 3 of the show, we discussed the fundamentals of changes. And I really wanted to build on that to start discussing in a bit more detail how we go about ascertaining value of different changes. There are some differences when you're working on different kinds of contracts. And more than anything else, it's the terminology that is different. And rather bizarrely, even within the same string of contracts, the JCT manages to have two words for what a change is. So across your standard building contracts, either with quantities without quantities or approximate quantities changes are described as variations the same applies for intermediate building contracts and minor works contracts but then your design and build contract and your major project construction contract term changes as a change fuck knows what was wrong with the word variation which has been used since the dawn of time maybe that's the jct's token attempt at using some straightforward language just a shame nobody told the rest of the contract Then of course, all of the NAC options term their changes as compensation events. Now nobody's going to start telling you off if you start terming your variations as changes or changes as variations under any of the JCT contracts. But it is always best to follow the terminology of the contract you're working under and certainly when you're onto an NEC contract. So take this as another reminder that you need to read your contract so that you can use the conditions to your advantage and as a minimum you need to use the correct terminology for your applications, your change quotations and so on. There are some sort of general principles that you can follow and if you follow them you won't go too far wrong across any kind of contract and they sort of run in order. So first of all you should always be looking to value work on the same basis as any work of the same nature under your contract is valued. So if there's a price for brickwork in your contract and you're adding more brickwork, you use the same basis for valuing it, the same rate, with the same scaffolding and any other attendances required added to it. The effects on prelims, any design fees, risk allowances, overhead and profit, fixed price elements, insurances, Any of those bits, if they're stated clearly as being excluded from the rates within the subcontract sum analysis, then they should be adjusted as well at the same time and the same percentages should apply. When work is added but it's not similar or it's not identical, you should still start with the contract rates as a basis for valuing the change but you should adjust those rates to suit the change. So if your original price, let's say, was for block work, but you've been instructed to omit a portion of it and add in some facing block work, you would expect to take the same rate from your subcontract and then adjust that rate to represent the change in the quality of the block. You might also have some more subtle changes in conditions or character of the work, but that might be a little bit more difficult to value and adjust for. But the starting point again should be your subcontract rate, perhaps with a factor of adjustment for extra difficulty. Only where there isn't a similar rate, or certainly one that you can adjust to make it suit, this is when you should be looking at pricing a new rate. Usually your contractor would determine that with you, and they would agree that none of the existing rates are suitable. Then finally, the last resort is to go to a day works, or time and cost, resource based price. Okay, so we'll put a bit more meat on the bones with that, and then we'll look at some of the nuances between different contracts. So the valuation rules 
for each contract are set out in detail in the conditions. So looking at a JCT standard building subcontract, you want to go to section 5 and it's 5.1 through to 5.12 that covers variations and you want item 5.6 onwards where it goes into the valuation rules in detail. And the magnificent clause 5.6.1 reads... To the extent that evaluation relates to the execution of additional or substituted work which can be properly valued by measurement or to the execution of work for which an approximate quantity is included in any bills of quantities such work shall be measured and shall be valued in accordance with the rules of this clause 5.6 and in those clauses 5.8, 5.11 and 5.12. Another typical and frustrating clause which manages to refer to itself and three other clauses, which if you then go on to read, they refer you back to that same clause and to four other places in the subcontract, or to basically tell you that if you're adding work that's the same as work that you're already completing, you charge the same price. And because that principle is so obvious, I'm not going to dwell on that any further. Principle two is then around similar but different work. So for similar work, we should be taking the original rates and adjusting it for the elements that have changed. And we're talking of the character, conditions, quantity and prelims. So the character is all around about specification. And we're talking things such as adding a plugged and screwed and pelleted skirting in lieu of adding an MDF skirting that was just pinned and glued in place. We could be talking of the example before where we changed common block work to a facing block, anything where the work is similar but different. And the principle is that you take your existing rate, you break down what the constituent parts of that are, so you show your labour, plant, materials, overhead and profit, all combined into one rate, and then you start adjusting the elements that have changed. So for that skirting item, you take off your percentage additions, i.e. your overheads and profit, you're then left with your basic rate, you then split that to show X amount for labour, X amount for plant, X amount for materials, and then you adjust those elements. So your materials, you're changing the fixing, you're omitting your glue and your nails, and you're adding back plugs, screws. If you're pre-buying hardwood pellets, you're adding those in. You're omitting your MDF, and then adding back in the cost of your hardwood. You then got to adjust your labour. If it initially was taking 10 minutes per linear metre, you want to show that increasing to reflect the additional work involved with drilling in your plugs, screwing your skirting and fixing your pellets. And if you can demonstrate that rate build-up changing with that sort of magnitude of science behind it, then when you reassemble it and add back your overhead and profit percentage, you've got a clear adjustment that your contractor can follow, and hopefully then agreeing the price for your variation should be straightforward. Then you've got condition, and what we're talking of there is things that perhaps change the timing. So perhaps if you were doing groundworks and a particular activity that was supposed to be carried out in the summer is now being carried out in the winter, you've got a clear change in weather and conditions that you can work in. It might be access, so you might have originally been doing work from a scaffold that was already erected, and now you've got to go back and do some more work, but now you're providing your own access and on top of providing your own access, let's say you're using a scissor lift, you've now got to distribute your own materials. Because not only is there no scaffold, but the fact that it's not there means that there's also no loading bays. And again, this is a case of taking that original rate, breaking it down and examining what has changed. So if I wasn't responsible for distribution in the first place, somebody just loaded out a pallet of cladding materials 
onto a scaffold and left me to it. And now I've got a scissor lift. I've got limited amount that I can fit in there with me. And I've got to stop and raise and lower the scissor lift constantly to bring up more materials as and when I need it. So not only am I now factoring in the cost of the plant higher into my rate, I've got to adjust it to add in that extra time that it's going to take me to go up and down and up and down. So my panels fixed per hour is going to reduce. But again, we want to show that initial breakdown and we want to adjust those bits that have changed up and down and represent it with your calculation showing what's changed and that's how you'll justify a prorated rate or a star rate. Then we're on to quantity and this one is about assessing whether there's any real change in the volume and the economies of scale that can be achieved across the variation that's been instructed. So if somebody's omitting a large portion of work and this means that you then don't achieve the same volume discount or your contractor is restricting the amount of work that you can access at one time. So it changes the amount of supervision required per gang. Those are examples of how reducing the quantity could cause a rate to increase. And conversely, if there's a significant increase in quantity, you might see betterment in those factors. But you also want to be thinking about has something been instructed and it's a small quantity and there's a minimum order quantity of a particular kind of board or material that you then need to adjust or factor that into your revised build-up. Then we're on to preliminaries or everyone calls them prelims. These are things such as your site manager, your accommodation, storage, access equipment, bits that you're charging for outside of the contract rates and that aren't included in the overall measured works prices. So basic examples, if the work added as a variation is causing you to be on site longer or to need some of those preliminary items, example forklift or scaffold, for a longer period of time, the best thing to do for you is to factor them into your price for the variation. You can do away with a lot of heartache of trying to ascertain loss and expense by quoting for preliminaries alongside any change. In this scenario, you can quote at original rates rather than have to tip up invoices and prove your actual costs. But expect to be asked for that old favourite, the records of what you are providing. So we're talking dates that the staff were working, number of supervisors, labourers, pieces of plant, higher periods for scaffold plant, other tools and equipment. Expect to be asked to evidence those. Now, it doesn't have to be invoices, but the issue with all of these items is that once the job is finished, they're very quickly forgotten about. Nobody who looks at your house has an appreciation of how long the scaffold might have been stood to build the brickwork and get the roof on. Even if you had a good guess at it, it's still only a guess. And particularly if you're putting a cost together for a change retrospectively and you've got dates, you've got details of what you've done, maybe even the odd photograph, all of these things can help you evidence what has changed and what you've had to do and for how long. These are the things that you need to provide to help you get yourself paid. And expect to be challenged on this if you've provided a quote in advance and then the items that you've then spoken about in your quote don't appear. There may also be some things to consider within that. And what I'm thinking of here is lump sum items or fixed cost items versus time related items. Usually there's a trend, so things that are hired or there's a time period involved. They're typically charged on a rate, on a weekly rate, monthly rate and so on. But every now and then there's a little bit of an oddity and just be aware that you might be asked the question on it. Charging for prelims as part of a change is different and potentially preferable to a loss and expense situation. In that scenario you'd be 
retrospectively calculating how much you've spent on managing, procuring or providing attendances to a change and you would have to prove your costs. Whereas if you can identify the prelims elements up front, you can come up with your build-up, which is fair and reasonable, and essentially charge that alongside your measured works elements. So then the next rule is fair rates and prices. And this is for instances where there's no sort of similar work and no benchmarks within your contract. So it's essentially left to you and the contractor to agree what is a fair price for that piece of work. This does leave everything open to interpretation. There's no real sort of case law precedence for how you should address it. And how you go about generating your price and agreeing it with your contractor will depend on how your work is set out and how you're resourcing your jobs. So if you're subcontracting things and you've got sub-subcontractors, you might have a schedule of rates with them that has something similar in it already. You might be asking them to quote for you. You might have to procure an entirely different sub-subcontractor to come in and do something particularly niche for you if you don't have that specialism in-house. And in that sort of situation, it's not unreasonable for the contractor to ask you to tender that new piece of work and to get more than one price to prove that things are competitive. And the caveat being with that, we've got to work within the timescale that we've got available. And if there isn't that time to go out and test the market thoroughly, i.e. if we need the thing doing in a week's time, and we all know how building sites can be, sometimes it could be less than that, then you have to do what you have to do and you have to get the price that you can get. And that will have to be the fair valuation given the circumstances. And this might be one of those situations where you say, how urgent is this? Have I got time to go out and test the market on it? Or do I just need to pick somebody that I can trust and that I know can be on site tomorrow and sort the problem out quickly? But where you're able to use your existing resources or your existing sub-subcontracts, we're probably talking of a situation where we start estimating from first principles time, cost, materials, plant, prelims, overheads and profit and working up a cost from scratch on it. It is between you and the contractor as to how you arrive at what a fair price and fair valuation is, and the contractor will probably have at their disposal some cost information from a previous job. Their estimator will probably have rates on similar work from the last time it cropped up, or they might even revert to using a price book as a bit of a check price, just to give a bit of a benchmark to see what's reasonable. And an amount should be included within the price for the overheads and profit, and that should be on the same basis that the original order was priced and tendered. Finally, you've got your day work basis. So this is your last resort method. And this is for valuing work that really can't be properly got to via a measurement method. So we're talking little bits of alterations that there's no sort of precedent rates for. Maybe opening up works where you haven't found a defect when you've done it. Small additions of extra quantities where you've already finished the work. If there's been any accidental damage, sometimes non-accidental damage, but work that needs making good and it's a small nature, you would likely expect if there's a large amount of damage that perhaps the stripping out is done on day works, but then you could reprice on the same basis of the existing rates to go back and reinstall whatever's been damaged. You might be talking of disjointed working or revisit costs to complete something that's been held up. But bear in mind, if you are completing something which is otherwise part of your contracted works, but you're presenting a day worksheet for it, you're going to see some adjustments either to the measured works or to your day works 
to take out that duplication between what you should have been doing as part of your contract and what you're now trying to charge as a day work item. And if you don't account for that when you're submitting your day works, you can expect that to be a reasonable adjustment that the contractor makes either to the day work assessment itself or to omit the corresponding bit of measured works which has now been, if you like, displaced by the bit of day works you've just done. If you're asked to complete works on a day works basis, you will need to get a signed record. A generally accepted process is that before the shift, the person doing the day works tells the site manager they're going to start doing some day works during their shift. They tell them what it is and they give them the sheet, hopefully referencing an instruction to do that piece of work. The site manager can then go and visit that man during the day, see what he's doing, get an appreciation for how long it's taking and sign off the day worksheet. It's not simply a case of shove something at the end of the day under the site manager's nose and say, I want four hours for X. It will just end up in an argument. On the sheet, it needs to be recorded who's doing the work. If that's more than one man, then list out the men doing it. If there's a supervisor directly involved in that work, if the supervisor spends a portion of their time, then record that. You need to state the plant and equipment used, you need to record the materials that were used as well. And the best thing to do is be right about it. If you're doing bits of some kind of making good work and say whatever material you're using comes in a bag and you use a bit of a bag on one day work, you use another bit another day and in three days time you use the rest of it, then make sure your sheets reflect that over the course of the week because those are the kind of things that gets the site managers back up and those sort of things are easy for somebody to pick up on a review and start questioning if you're just double bubbling bits of materials all over the place then what else are you doing and start challenging things that are quite genuine because there was some kind of an easy target or something that didn't look right and it then just caused the whole thing into scrutiny. Preferably you want a day work rate agreed and a lot of contractors will try and set that day work rate at the outset so that everybody knows where they stand on these bits of incidental works. But it's also not uncommon for rates to be left blank and then to refer to the likes of an industry schedule, the RICS day work rate, which is produced by the BCIS. And it contains a regularly reviewed set of rates for various different skill levels based on the prime cost of day work. And that starts with a basic rate of pay. It's adjusted for all of your holidays, bank holidays, employer's national insurance, pension, CITB levy, travel costs. It's worked out across a year and then it's divided back to give an hourly rate. That hourly rate, as it sounds like it's stated, is a prime cost. It's the cost only element. And the common thing is to add a percentage addition to that to then cover for bits of supervision and overhead and profit, administration costs and the like. So it's quite common to see that the RICS day work rate is doubled to give a current day work rate for a craftsperson. And that is a different general stance to where your Civil Engineering Contractors Association rates would start from, which are typically higher than the normal rate and are then discounted. So depending on the industry that you're working in, the approach might be slightly different so far as the definition of the rate is concerned, but the same approach should be taken as for recording the work itself. And remember the good practice that we mentioned earlier of making sure the site manager is aware before you get started.
that sort of covers the general principles. But there are some other things to think about. If you're a designer or you've got design as part of your subcontract package, you've obviously then got to consider whether there's an addition or an omission from any design work being carried out. Sometimes that might even mean spending more money on a designer to draw things out that were already part of the works and it potentially might erode some of the savings for making omissions if design work has already progressed. Sometimes there is a situation where changing one part of the work might impact on how another bit works. Maybe changing from a soft to a hard floor finish is changing the acoustics and that then requires more acoustic wall coverings. If you've got performance requirements within your contract and these kind of changes are coming about there might be sort of consequential issues caused which you then need to charge more money for or you you need to then make a bigger change for even though the original instruction didn't really affect your work as well going back to the start of the job and when you're tendering the package it might be worth having your day work rate set out for different operatives different skill levels if you've got machine drivers or that kind of thing or different bits of plant get those defined and get them agreed at the start that takes away arguments later down the line of what a fair rate for various things should be it's also worth thinking about if you're pricing a lump sum package, have you given enough rates when you're putting your price together to give an accurate way of valuing any changes? Remember that different allowances, i.e. risk and contingency, can be prorated and added to your price. And remember that you are able to make exclusions and assumptions at the point of quoting a variation. These are particularly useful under NEC conditions because there the contract encourages you to consider the different risks involved and sometimes by doing so you arrive at a price that doesn't seem reasonable and this is your opportunity to discuss the risks and perhaps for the contractor to instruct you to include assumptions which reduce that risk or mean that they're carrying some of it, which they might be happy to do if it means they're getting a lower price. But in doing so, it protects you because if an assumption on your quotation later comes to be true, then you're able to revisit that and price a change on the change, if you like. I hope you've got something useful out of today's show. And if you know somebody that would benefit from listening to it, I'd be really grateful if you'd share the podcast with them and help me to help more people. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you've heard and you want to learn more, please do find us at www.qs.zone where you can subscribe to our training and support system for like-minded subcontractors. In there you'll find templates, how-to videos, interviews and more, and it's less than the price of a cup of coffee per day. You can cancel any time. Also on all your favourite socials at qs.zone. Thanks again. I've been Jacob Austin and you've been awesome. Awesome.